work on who you are, who you're being. And this is a theme that I come to time and again. It really matters how you care for yourself, how much inner work you do to heal your own traumas, to heal your own pain, to recognize the patterns, behaviors, habits that you do that are harmful, not just to yourself, but to others. And when you recognize those, then you can rectify that. You can revise that. You can start to begin to live the life that you desire. Welcome to Vinyasa in Verse, the podcast where we connect mind, body, and spirit through poetry and practice. I'm Leslie Ann Hobayan. Together, we'll explore different ways of connecting with our innermost selves and how to tap into the flow of the universe. Because once that happens, anything is possible. Your best life starts now. Hey loves, before we dive into today's episode, I want to tell you that my program Heal to Power is now officially open for registration. This eight-week transformational experience will help you create a blueprint for healing your traumas once and for all. Childhood trauma, trauma from sexual violence, from racism and sexism, intergenerational ancestral trauma, traumas known and unknown. I guide you through some deep dives into examining limiting beliefs, help you release the fear and anxiety that's holding you back so that you can step out into your innate power and thrive in your life. Audre Lorde has famously said, caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare. Imagine how powerful this act of healing your trauma will be and what kind of impact that will make not only on your loved ones, but in your communities and in the world. I'm not kidding. This is powerful stuff. Stop settling. Stop playing small. Claim the life you are meant to live. Enrollment for Heal to Power is now open at suryagyan.com slash heal to power. And now on to our episode. Hello, loves. Welcome to another episode of Vinyasa Inverse. How are you on this beautiful day? I hope wherever you are, you can take a moment to just pause from your life, look around and observe anything that can encapsulate beauty even if it's just in your own full breath. Take one with me right now. Inhale and exhale. So good. So good. Okay. So to start our episode today, we will turn to Hafez, our Sufi mystical poet, who will be our oracle to guide today's episode. Try to pick one that's not dog-eared. Oh, the hat check girl. So let's start with this. The hat check girl. Why are there so few in the court of a perfect saint? Because every time you are near him, you have to leave pieces of your ego with the hat check girl who won't give them back. Ouch. Now, because I'm also doing this podcast on video, I want my video folks to see the layout of the last word, ouch, because I think it's, I think it's great. So here he goes, ouch. 
<laughs> That's awesome. Um, so let me just read that real quick again. The hat check girl. Why are there so few in the court of a perfect saint? Because every time you are near him, you have to leave pieces of your ego with the hat check girl who won't give them back. Ouch. I think that's interesting because, well, of course, um, ego is something that in, in some schools of thought, we'll say, in some, in some teachings, um, the ego needs to be eliminated, we'll say. Um, but I personally don't agree with that because other teachings say that the ego, we kind of need to operate on this planet in the human body. Um, but we don't want the ego to take charge. We don't want the ego in the driver's seat. So what Hafez is saying here is that in order for you as a spirit soul to get closer to him, to the divine, to beloved, to the friend, however you call God, the universe, etc. Um, in order for you to get closer to that divine presence, you kind of need to leave pieces of your ego behind. And it's not to say, you know, kill the ego. It's not to say like, forget about the ego. It's just that ego needs to take a nap <laughs> or um, buckle up the ego in the backseat of the car while you, your higher self, your spirit soul drives towards the divine. Now, I love the hat check girl because she's just there saying, hey, you know what? Check your ego at the door and then you guys can go inside and have a good time at that divine party. Um, but this question at the start is what is interesting. Why are there so few in the court of a perfect saint? So I'm wondering, does that mean that many of us only leave pieces of our ego to enter the divine party? Like maybe let's say there's a divine party, right? Which, which we'll call the court that Hafez refers to. And we're allowed in as long as we leave just a few pieces of our ego with the hat check girl, maybe a hat, you know, maybe our jacket, but maybe we want to leave our gloves on because we want to feel a little more secure, a little safer to hold on to something familiar as we enter this divine party that feels new and exciting, unfamiliar. But when we move into unfamiliar spaces, we tend to want to hold on to something that feels familiar, right? We want to just like have a little touchstone. All right, we're going to go into the unknown, but I'll keep my gloves on because that feels familiar. So we go in there and we go in and we expect this big party, big lots of people. But according to Hafez, there are so few in the court of a perfect saint. And so the perfect saint to me is that person who is able to take all of the ego clothes off and leave everything with the hat check girl and, and be okay with that and be okay with not having those familiar comforts, those habits that we have, those tendencies that, that of behaviors that we have that hold us back. Um, so we can show up to the divine party, but it's not quote unquote perfect because we still are holding on to our gloves, for example. Um, and the saints on the other hand are in such bliss in such divine love trance that um, they achieve what Hafez is calling perfection um, because they've, they've shed their ego 
and they haven't totally detached from it because I feel that if you totally detach from your ego as a human being, you will end up being sort of catatonic. At least, you know, this is, this is what I um, have gathered from the various teachings that I've studied. Um, and I've studied so many different kinds that I don't know if I could tell you <laughs> the source of that, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Um, but to think about how the ego is the thing that grounds us in this human body and on this planet and how we interact with each other right um our ego you know says hey we need to eat some food now because our body is saying oh i need some nourishment i'm feeling a little low energy so go find us some food ego so ego will do that um but if ego senses there's danger and there's no actual danger that's not exactly helpful for us now ego can say hey you know, there's danger in crossing the street because there's a big Mack truck that's coming our way. So let's let's hold back before crossing the street. Let's stay on the sidewalk. Let's wait for the light to change so that we can cross safely because there's this big um, delivery truck coming down the road. Now, okay, ego is useful for that, right? Without ego, we might just be like, oh, let's move towards the light, you know, not even seeing that truck coming by and then a whammo, we are flat as a pancake. <laughs> so ego has its uses. Um, it's a matter of who's driving the car called the human body. And that driver is the divine self, the higher self. Ego, I like to, to the metaphor, the allegory, the, what is it called? Analogy that I like to use is that um, I, I buckle my ego in the backseat of the car. And we don't like backseat drivers, but they're actually more manageable than if that person, that ego was actually driving. So I'd rather hear the ego from the backseat, you know, yipping away um, and knowing that my higher self is the one in charge driving this vehicle called the body um, so that we have amazing experiences, human experiences, so that our souls can evolve and grow. Um, and so in thinking about that, this human experience, um, I learned yesterday. Um, so at the time of this recording, it'll have been a, a few days uh, for the publishing of this, of this episode. Um, I learned about a 61-year-old um, Asian man was attacked in New York City uh unprovoked you know he was just walking and it was night so it was dark it was i think around 8 30 at night um and a man came up from behind him and knocked him down and st stomped on his head repeatedly um i don't even know like you know i against my better judgment i went ahead and watched the video i even hesitated you know i was like okay do i want to subject myself to watching this again um but you know i think ego kind of escaped the the buckle the seatbelt buckle and came into the front seat and said press play <laughs> you know so um i watched the video and as i was watching it i was regretting watching it actually um because it was so horrific to to witness and to just see how badly a human can hurt can be in pain um, to share that pain, to inflict that pain on, on somebody else. 
um, who they don't know, who's a random stranger, you know, it just whatever. It's just this this cycle of of hurt. Um, and so I'm witnessing this and I'm like both full of hurt, both angry, um, all the range of emotions. And um, you know, I just sort of sat there asking, you know, so now what? You know, now what do we do? I mean, I know that, no, I don't know for sure, but I'm sure that I'm guessing, I'm presuming, <laughs> we'll be accurate with our words. I'm presuming that there are far more attacks on Asian American Pacific Islanders um, than we know about, than are being reported, than are being caught on camera. Um, but the fact that these are caught on camera helps to make it real, helps us to make the abstract more concrete. Because when we hear about attacks on people, um, we become desensitized to it over a period of time. It's just over and over again. It's like, oh, here we go again. Here we go again. And as a as a person of color, um, it's a lot to take. It's a lot to take uh, to have that repeatedly put on you, put on your system to stress the nervous system in that way. Um, it is overwhelming. It is traumatizing. The nervous system then goes into overload um shuts down at some point you know we just block things out um we numb ourselves all kinds of things and so um it takes discernment on our part as a as a person of color to decide whether or not we will subject ourselves to witnessing such um harm to bodies that look like ours and bodies that look like our family members uh, our close friends you know um so i've been i've been thinking about this well i've been thinking about a lot of things actually uh you know the verdict um of, on the chauvin case came as guilty uh and you know some white folks white communities are like yes justice is served the communities of color, we're saying no, no, this is accountability. Yeah, not justice, because justice would be George Floyd still alive. Justice, justice would be any of those um, folks who have died at the hands of police for them to be alive. Um, I saw a graphic on social media the other day where uh, there were two columns. One was accountability and George Floyd, his name was there. And then the other was, um, I don't even know if it said non-accountability or justice, but it was the names of as many um, men and women from the black community who have died um, senselessly at the hands of authorities um, on, on the other column. And so, while this may seem like a time for celebration it's not um it is kind of a you know because all of us in communities of color we're sort of holding our breath because you know we don't know we don't know what that verdict would have been a lot of us are expecting 
the not guilty. We wouldn't have been surprised. But what does that say? What, how telling is that, that we all were still tense about it? Um, and so I, I'm thinking that there was a 15-year-old girl, Nakia Bryant, who was shot four times in the chest about a half hour before the verdict was delivered in Columbus, Ohio. She was shot by um, Columbus police officers. And um, they're spinning so many narratives on that. Um, but my point of that is, yeah, you can, you can spin it that she had a weapon, she had a knife in her hand. Um, you can say whatever you want, but she was 15 and she could have been subdued. She could have been disarmed. The situation could have been de-escalated um, and she would still be alive, you know, if she were white. Because if you think about the shooters, let's say, oh, the shooter who killed six Asian women in Atlanta, he was taken alive into custody, right? Um, and he had a weapon that was far more powerful than a knife. So yeah, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Um, so I, I'm thinking about all of this hurt, all this pain that's coming on. And then to see the footage of this Asian man um, being attacked and his head getting bashed into the concrete. Uh, it's just, it's just a lot. Um, there's a lot of pain in the world and it feels hopeless. It feels like, what are we to do? You know, it's like, we know, a lot of us know that things need to change at the system level. Um, it's not just a matter of like, hey, let's get along. Hey, let's have diversity training. Let's all understand that we are one human race. That's great. You know, the intentions are great, but systemically, that's not going to change anything. We need to change the system itself. Um, and so many people have spoken on this, so I don't, I'm not necessarily going to dive into it, but um, I'm inviting you to consider what systems are in place that keep folks of color held back, held down, um, while availing opportunities to white folks, you know, to, to really just examine and, and take a look at it, take a closer look at it. Um, yeah, that's, that's where I want to leave it for now. Um, because right now I want to focus on the pain and suffering that everyone is feeling, that everyone is experiencing. And I lo I'm looking at the footage of this Asian man who almost got killed. And the attacker from the footage appeared to be a black man. And that really broke my heart because what I saw is a lot of intergenerational trauma, a lot of ancestral trauma 
a lot of suffering from that trauma, that unhealed trauma coming out and exploding on somebody else. And in thinking about the race dynamics of this country, a black man's not going to explode on a white person. Let's think about the power dynamics there, right? More often than not, and of course, these are not necessarily conscious decisions. I mean, they might be, but for the most part, there's, there's a certain depth to the subconscious that is acting out in these concrete ways. And so in thinking about this attacker on the Asian man, he sees the Asian man as the weaker, I don't like person or um, enemy or weaker. Yeah, just person. There's another word that I'm thinking of, but it's not coming to me right now. But he views the Asian man as the weaker party. And he has all of this rage. And when I say he, I don't necessarily mean specifically this individual, this attacker. I am speaking of the he as a collective black man. Okay. Um, he sees the Asian man as inferior, as weaker, you know? And so with all this rage pent up that he doesn't even know he has, takes it out on the Asian man because of this perceived idea of the model minority, of this idea of like, oh, you Asians are so perfect. You're getting all the good grades. Um, affirmative affirmation in the schools is designed to keep you and help you excel and get all the you know, great jobs, the high paying jobs. And it's designed to keep us black folks down, um, which might be true. Again, that's the system, right? That's how the system is set up. But so this pain is, is coming forward. And so he takes it out on this Asian man. And in the model minority myth, there's this perception that Asians don't fight back, that they will just go into a submissive position, um, that they'll take whatever comes that will take whatever comes. Um, and again, that, that might be true, that might not be true, but this is a myth. This is like urban legend. This is like stereotypes, right? These are the constructs that are built around our cultural identities, built by white supremacy. And so what hurts me most is here is a, a man who is filled with so much suffering, so much pain, so much rage, is not wholly aware of it, needs to outlet it somewhere because the buildup is just too much. It's like trying to cook or cook, boil water, right? On a, in a pot where it, the lid is like sealed tight and you're boiling that water and that steam is building up, that steam's building up. If you don't let that steam out, the lid just pops off and explodes, right? And so this is what's happening. And if you're not aware, if someone is not aware of the hurts and the traumas that are simmering, that are really weighing heavy on us, 
and then to receive even more of that heaviness from everyday existence because of how our society is built then inevitably that that pain that trauma is going to explode out somewhere and so um and so for this particular person he sees a, an older asian man and decides to take it out on him and what peace bothers me the most is that these attacks against the AAPI community have largely been against our elders. And as if they haven't gone through enough in their life, you know, um, more, more just keeps coming their way. And for me, that is what feels most harmful, most painful is that these attackers, no matter what race or gender they are, that these attackers are choosing the people who are more vulnerable, who tend to not do anything wrong. Like I don't see any elders, you know, causing a ruckus. <laughs> I mean, unless they are the protesting type, right? But I don't, I don't see them like trying to pick a fight with anybody. And that also speaks to our cultural relationship with our elders, no matter what race we're in, no matter what you know community we're from. There seems to be, at least you know, in the American culture, there seems to be a lack of reverence and respect for our elders and for the wisdom that they carry and what i'd like to see is for that to turn around um how i don't know by by starting with us individually by starting here and doing what we can in our own communities and our own families to show reverence and respect and when we do that when we start here then that example gets to be seen by others and others may be inspired to do the same. So when it comes to large things like this, like racism, like hate crimes, all these big social issues, sometimes they feel very overwhelming, very unwieldy, very insurmountable and what do we do you know maybe protesting is is a thing is a an action you can take but maybe what if you don't like to do that you know you don't want to be out there risking your safety you know then what do you do um some folks they opt to run for office of some kind no matter how small even if it's your local town council you know um, but some people don't want to be out there in the public eye leading a public life in the spotlight, again, might not feel safe. So what do we do? Yeah, you can sign your petitions, make donations to the organizations that are doing the work on the ground floor. You know, for example, like Stop AAPI, AAPI Hate is um, a coalition nonprofit organization that's doing the work on the ground. Black Lives Matter, of course, um, and so many other 
organizations who have the people who are willing to go out and risk their safety for the greater good. So you can do that from the safety of your own home, right? But what else? Well, what you can do is focus on you. And I know that might initially feel selfish. It's like, oh, but you know, I'm like, I'm safe. I'm here. Like, okay, what does that mean? Work on me. Work on who you are, who you're being. And this is a theme that I come to time and again. It really matters how you care for yourself, how much inner work you do to heal your own traumas, to heal your own pain, to recognize the patterns, behaviors, habits that you do that are harmful, not just to yourself, but to others. And when you recognize those, then you can rectify that. You can revise that. You can start to begin to live the life that you desire. Now, that last part, the life you desire, right? How can I desire something when so much is happening in the world? So many bad things are happening in the world. You are put on this earth. We all are. Each of us are put on this earth individually to follow a certain calling. In the yoga world, yoga teachings, it's called dharma. What is your dharma? What is your duty? What is your life's purpose? Everyone has an, an individual life's purpose, very specific to them. Some purposes are bigger than others. Some purposes are like, I'm going to change the world, like Mother Teresa, you know? Um, others might have smaller purposes. Others might be like, my purpose is to be the best mom ever to grow and raise fantastic human beings that are going to contribute to the greater good for the entire planet. Or it could be something as simple as like, my purpose in life is to make a good bed. You know, I make awesome beds in the morning. And I get so much satisfaction out of that. And I'm being serious. I mean, I'm using that as an example, but I'm serious. Life's purpose doesn't necessarily have to be a big thing. It is something that lights you up from the inside out. What is that life purpose? And when you can find it, when you can identify it, when you can then shape your life to live it, then that's when you'll start to see the ripples. That's when you'll start to see the world change. And it's pretty awesome when that happens. So don't feel selfish about working on yourself. Because when you work on yourself, when you are in deep inner work, in integrity with the intention of evolving, in creating more awareness so that you can know who you truly are, that is what this is about. That is how you can change what's going on outside of yourself. If you try to help people and help make change without working on yourself, it ends up being much harder, for one. Um, the changes that you are trying to instate tend to not last as long. They may happen, but then 
things will slide back to where they were after a period of time. So it's important for you to work on your inner spaces. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, email me. I'll, I'll help you out. But I think if you're listening to this podcast, I think you have an idea of what I mean. So I want the takeaway for this episode to be about understanding who you are being can help change the systems that are creating a lot of pain and suffering in the world. Might not be obvious, but that's the way to go. At least according, you know, what I think. Other people might have other ideas, right? But you do you. You know, I offer what knowledge I have, what's worked for me, what's worked for, you know, people who are in my close-knit circle. And, um, and I offer it for you to experiment with it, you know, because what I offer may not work for you. You're an entirely different individual and not all things work for everybody. So my invitation is merely to try it out. I mean, to really give it a go to say, Hey, what if I worked on myself? What if I worked to heal these traumas that I have? forgotten about these traumas that I don't even know that I have, um, what might happen? You know, what cool evolution might I experience? And then how might that affect the people around me? And then how might that affect the people around them? And so on and so forth. But if you try it like for a day and you're like, yeah, no, it's not working for me. Ask yourself, is this resistance? Is this a cop-out? Is there something here that I'm unwilling to look at? Or does this really not resonate with me? I mean, you know, I don't know. I'm not in your body. You have a deep knowing, an inner knowing on whether or not you're bullshitting yourself. So those are just some questions to consider. Um, okay. Okay. So I wanted to talk a little bit about childhood trauma, but maybe I'll save that for next episode. <laughs> um, in the meantime, I do want to just presence the pain that is going on in our country right now with regard to <sighs> communities of color specifically with the Black community and with the Asian American Pacific Islander community. And to just offer some grounding in knowing that we are out here supporting each other, that we are definitely coming together in solidarity that it's not a matter of black against Asian. It never has been. It's about bringing those two communities together and fighting the real enemy, we'll say, 
I don't like the word enemy for some reason, um, which is white supremacy. White supremacy is a system. It's not we're against white people. I want to make that clear. It's against white supremacy and white supremacy is a system. And it's a system that needs to be dismantled now. So no matter what that looks like for you, whatever action that is, do not hesitate to look out to take that action. Because what better time than now? We don't know when our last day on earth is. We don't know when our last breath is. So let's take action now. Whether it's action like political action, protesting, calling your representatives, or it's action within, getting quiet, examining the places that you have tucked away long ago that you don't want to look at, and seeing what's there, finding ways to heal the hurt parts of you. Whew. So yeah. That's what I'm going to leave you guys at. It's a lot. It's a lot. I know it's heavy, um, but we need to have these kinds of conversations. We need to talk about this stuff because it's not all love and light. You know, we are whole beings. We've got the light and the dark. We've got brightness. So we've got shadow. You know, where there is a light source, there's going to be shadow somewhere, right? And we got to bring them together. We got yin and yang, right? And it's about balance. It's not about eliminating one or the other. It's about holding both together and finding a balance with both. Mm. Okay, so to close the episode, today I've got this anthology once again, The World I Leave You, Asian American Poets on Faith and Spirit. Um, and when I was flipping through before I started recording, I found that this poem came forward. So I was like, all right, I'm not going to look anymore. Okay, this is a poem by, um, I hope I'm saying this right, Faisal Moyudin. And this is called Guzzle for the Lost. None of the unspeaking souls on this morning train knows where we are going. Waking again to a washed clean darkness, we prefer the frightening disquiet of mystery to bear witness to the disappearing bravery of the night's last remaining star, is to walk alone through the hills without water, is to fill your mouth with mystery. Inside each bird in the taxidermist's house, hidden between folds of crumpled paper, the photograph of a child, bright eyes of a surrogate heart, their youthful mystery. Why must every breath come at a cost? Each passing minute steal from us the color and strength of our bodies. To live is to be a dying thing. All else is mystery. Prayer directs our longing toward Mecca, keeps our foreheads anchored to the earth. Each step is touched by language, but between prostrations, silence, and mystery. When the rain begins to fall, sending shivers of joy through the dead desert air, a sleeping dog lifts his head from the sand, watches the washing away of mystery. As you arrive at your final destination, a village carved from a mountain's hip, 
a castle at its center. Drop your body, begin to climb, be no longer afraid of mystery. Do you remember, Faisal, what the elders preached about forgetting? Centuries of grief had made them wise, taught them to seek the mercy and goodness of mystery. Hmm. All right, my friends. Close the episode as we always do. The divine light in me bows to the divine light in you. Until next time, namaste. Healing is so necessary for women writers of color. Whether we know it or not, our traumas hold us back from expressing and becoming our truest selves. How can we be more present to this? How can we create new ways of understanding our hurts so that we can heal them and step into our life's purpose with radiance? Follow me on Instagram for messages of healing and support as you walk this journey that brings you home to yourself. Find me at this handle, at Surya Gyan Yogi, S-U-R-Y-A-G-I-A-N-Y-O-G-I. Or visit my website to learn more at suryagyan.com. Your best healed life starts here.